Any of you watch that show? Dan and Titus have been here, eh, and Simcoe? They were attended a, a Honor Guard uh, gala here. They were a guest of honor. It was very cool. So this is uh, page Gate Theory 1, Unit 2, Part 1B, Flow of a Call. So let's talk about it. So, um, so the first thing we look at is um, scene safety, right? And then we make some first impressions. Um, when we go to a, a motor vehicle collision, typically what we do when we arrive on scene, we're the first ambulance on scene, uh, we'll say, uh, uh, call dispatch and say 3185, arrive scene, we'll update shortly. And then we get out of the vehicle and we determine how many patients there are. And, uh, and then we'll call back on the radio and say, 3195, we have uh, three patients. We need two more ambulances, one code four, one code three. Um, so that gives them an idea of vehicles we need and what priority we need to transport. Um, so we make first impressions. Uh, we do a primary survey and that involves assessing the airway and whether it's patent or not patent. Meaning it's clear or not clear. And if there's a problem with the airway, we address it right away. So if they're unresponsive and they're doing this, they're lying on the back going We don't move on to B or C, we deal with A. And we deal with A by doing something like a jaw thrust, inserting a nasopharyngeal airway or an oropharyngeal airway. We'll talk about that, those interventions in more detail in, in subsequent <coughs> discussions. Same with breathing. If you notice someone who's, you know, you look at their chest and the chest is really not moving. Um, and then you realize after 15 seconds, they might be breathing one breath every 15 seconds then you need to go to bag valve mass ventilation. So we address breathing before we move on to circulation. And then we look at circulation. Um, now, every call is, is a little bit different, right? So, you know, uh, uh, when I talk about airway, breathing, circulation in that order, uh, there are times when you're gonna have a patient who's got multiple problems going on simultaneously and there's no reason why, for example, I can't go to the airway while my partner pulls out a tourniquet and wraps it around the leg that's gushing blood. Right? So we can do things simultaneously. Um, and then uh, disability would be, so part of circulation is we, um, with any suspected trauma patient, uh, if we don't see any obvious bleeding, any obvious blood, we do what's called a wet check, and you probably learned this in your first day of lab, where you just slip your hands underneath the patient to feel, look for and feel for uh, wetness. Um, and then circulation is a brief neuro assessment, so we do an AVPU, and I think you've probably talked about AVPU in your first day of labs, all right? So are they alert? Uh, are they, do they respond to verbal only? Do they respond only to pain? Or are they unresponsive? So in a P and a U, um, if they're at a P or a U level, they probably have an airway problem. Their airway is probably partially obstructed because their tongue, you know, falls to the back of the throat and obstructs it. Um, secondary survey then happens, and so primary survey can happen in under 10 seconds if there's nothing going on, right? And airway issues can sometimes be really obvious or they can be very subtle. So if a patient's unconscious and they're doing this, then they obviously have a real serious airway problem. If they're not breathing at all, they have a life-threatening airway problem. Um, but if they're awake and talking, they may have a more subtle airway problem. So for example, a patient who's been in a fire and has facial burns, if they're talking to you in a hoarse voice, you know, if they sound like uh, the godfather um, uh, when they normally have a normal voice, then they probably got an airway issue, right? 
and uh, that may become a more serious problem in the next few minutes. So secondary survey, we do uh, chest auscultation, we hook up monitor devices, we do vital signs and Glasgow coma scores, uh, we'll talk about that in detail later. We get a history, we get um, medical history, meds and allergies, and we do a head-to-toe exam, but depending on the patient, it'll be uh, their full head-to-toe exam in most trauma patients. In medical patients, we do a focused exam. So we'll talk about what that, what that is. So this is just a synopsis, right? So um, in terms of airway breathing, if there's a life-threatening issue with airway breathing or circulation, we deal with it right away. Uh, these things, um, we can do simultaneous assessments and treatments. So you've got you know, your driver paramedic who's uh, taking vital signs where you're eliciting history and finding about their medications allergies and these things all happen sort of simultaneously. So I'm going over this fairly quickly, uh, sort of skimming the surface and then we're going to drill down into the deeper stuff. Like we'll talk about airway and what kinds of airway emergencies you may encounter and how to deal with them as we get to. Um, so typically when we arrive, uh, the patient's seen, we assess, we treat, we reassess, we make decisions, uh, we transport, and uh, um, as I said, trauma scenes from the time of uh, patient contact to the time of transport, typically we try to keep under 10 minutes, and for medicals we try to keep under 20 minutes with some exceptions. In <coughs> um, trauma, that 10 minutes excludes extrication time. So if someone's trapped in a car or in a piece of machinery, um, it's going to take time to extricate them. So we count from the time they're extricated to the time we're uh, en route with the patient. I've tried to keep that under 10 minutes. So trauma, and you know, the, the idea is to minimize the time of injury to the time of surgery. Uh, with medical calls, sometimes I don't like the word stabilizing. I don't like the word stable. I'll tell you why later. But, but um, we don't stabilize at scene so much. We, we treat. And uh, yeah, I mean, in a sense, we're hopefully improving their condition. Um, and those calls where we spend more time at the scene will be things like cardiac arrest, diabetic hypoglycemia, so low blood sugar, shortness of breath, anaphylaxis. Um, the exception to the medical calls that are time sensitive, heart attacks are time sensitive, um, strokes are time sensitive, in internal bleeding is time sensitive, other gastrointestinal bleeding, intracerebral bleeding, aneurysm, those sorts of things. So this is your office. This is where you're going to work. And um, uh, once we got the patient in the back of the ambulance, we go through right from the primary assessment to the secondary assessment. Now, the primary assessment may be done because the patient's talking to you so and their voice sounds normal. So you know their airway's patent. Um, you know by the fact that they're able to speak in full sentences that their breathing is fine and they don't appear in, to be in any more distress. And circulation. Um, in order to be able to speak coherently, be elite, alert and oriented to person, place, and time, they have to have adequate blood flow to their brain. So you know the circulatory component um, is fine, presuming that you've done a gross bleed check or a wet check earlier. Right? Um, and if the patient's on oxygen, then we switch the O2 from the portable tank to the main tank so that you don't uh, run the portable tank dry. And um, the patient is reassessed, care continues. If I did an incomplete head-to-toe exam or if doing a head-to-toe exam was not critical at the scene, I'll do the head-to-toe exam in the back of the ambulance. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So we had a guy uh, a few years ago, he was an older guy crossing the road, hit by a van, thrown about 20, 30 feet, uh, rolled on the highway, 
remarkably awake and talking, but a little confused. Uh, but he had multi-system trauma. He had rib fractures, he had an arm fracture, he had a leg fracture, he had a possible pelvic fracture, and lots and lots of cuts and abrasions. And uh, we just um, sort of swarmed in on him. I made sure his airway breathing and circulation was adequate and there was no gross bleeding that needed to be controlled. We rolled him onto a board, picked him up on the stretcher, went to the ambulance, loaded them back, no vital signs, no head to toe exam. Uh, we started, um, we did a quick set of vital signs, got a quick intravenous access. Uh, we started heading towards a trauma center and I did the head to toe exam before I patched to the hospital. So I did the, you know, the sort of fine tuning what exactly is happening with this guy before I patched to the trauma center, let them know we're, we're coming in with. So up in that point, I just knew that he was probably had rib fractures just by looking at him because he was struggling to breathe and I could see his, he was, it, it hurt when he took a breath in and he had uh, obvious, um, um, deformity in his arm, obvious deformity in his leg, and uh, you know he's an older guy, high risk. So my objective is minimal time on scene, do the vital signs and head to toe exam in the back of the animals. That was the key. So um, uh, what else? Um, we'll talk about the Canadian triage acuity scale, but for CTAS one and two, we radio head to the hospital. Uh, we realize vital signs. Uh, when we arrived at the hospital, we switched the O2 back to the portable tank, uh, unload the stretcher, uh, bring the patient in, we give a report to triage, and then we transfer care uh, to a hospital bed and give a report to the receiving nurse. Or if it's a trauma, it might be you know, a whole team of people, including the physician, respiratory therapist, nurse, etc. So, um, uh, typical call flow once a transfer of care has happened, uh, you know, we start documentation and cleaning up. So the attending paramedic will complete the documentation. The ambulance call report typically takes 20 to 40 minutes. It takes me an hour if it's a cardiac arrest. There's a lot going on there. The other paramedic cleans the stretcher, wipes it down. We use a solution called Virox to kill everything on the stretcher. Um, and uh, restocks the ambulance and then we're ready to go on another call. So even if I'm you know, only 15 minutes into my paperwork and nowhere near finished my paperwork, if the ambulance is restocked and it's cleaned and it's ready to go, we make ourselves available, we can go on another call. Um, so what you'll find is you have to mentally prepare yourself for that because uh, sometimes you'll be on a really uh, difficult labor intensive call and uh, another call comes in and you're just wiped and thinking, oh my God, I, I just can't do another call right now. But if you're um, sitting in the hospital, not yet available, and you're mentally thinking, I'm gonna do another call, if you're sort of mentally prepared for the next call, then it's a much, much easier, right? I know at my age, after a cardiac arrest, I really need a power nap but uh, those power naps just don't happen very often, so you <laughs> just get ready to go. Uh, so again, we sort of cover this really fast, really superficially. Uh, we're gonna get into more depth, you know, airway assessment and management, stuff like that, and then breathing and circulation of the different components uh, one piece at a time. You guys have any questions before you go off and party all weekend? Um, about documentation, like, uh, so you're doing vitals, meds, you're putting in IVs, whatever like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's not time to that charting at the same time, 
Yeah. So is it just like you got to bank it all up here? Yeah, so uh, some of it you bank up there. Uh, what I try to do is um, when I'm, so when you're going through scenarios in the lab, you're probably going to find you're going to be jotting notes down as you go. But over time, you should be really trying to store some of that information in your brain. And when you get a small break, either at the scene, write down a couple of things. Um, you know, meds, I'll usually just throw them into a bag and document them in the back of the annals. Uh, but it's usually in the back of the annals once everything is settled and everything's <coughs> been more or less taken care of that I'll start to write stuff down. Um, and I'll, I'll even sketch stuff on a notepad. I have my own form that I use all the time. I'll sketch stuff down that is not universally accepted. Um, that will keep things. Now, you can use a lot of stuff that's universally accepted um, with a trauma patient. Like a fracture is a hashtag. That's a fractured, you know? And this would be left leg. So, those kinds of short forms I use as much as possible, just to scribble on a piece of paper. But, but yeah, if, if, if any of you have ever done uh, uh, weighted tables, um, you get good at memorizing little bits of information and that's where you want to be as a paramedic is try to memorize most of the information that you gather from the patient and then write it down later. Any other questions before you guys go? Yeah, first name? Uh, Liam. Liam? Oh, Ambulance Call Report. Yeah, ACR, Ambulance Call Report. So many abbreviations. I would start looking them over this weekend. Yeah, first name again? Alyssa. Alyssa. God, how many times have you told me now? Okay, Alyssa, go ahead. Is there ever times where like, people just aren't prepared to take another call because it's a really Uh It happens, yeah. It happens, yeah. So you let the supervisor know. Um, uh, you know, like uh, my partner James and I did a call for uh, a lady who was transected. She was cut the waist. She was, you know, legs here, upper body here. Um, didn't bother me in the slightest. I was a little worried about James. Uh, supervisor said, you guys need a bit of a break because we got a code four right after that. Do you guys need a bit of a break? I looked at James and said, are you okay? He said, oh God, yeah, that was cool. So, but yeah, there are calls. I had a 19 week old stillborn. Uh, I took about a 20 minute break after that. Um, so yeah, there, there are provisions for that for sure. Like Only if you want it. Um, they found that debriefing everyone who's been on a stressful call is not helpful. So you have to be sort of in the right mental space for debriefing. Um, but uh, you, you, you just never know when you're gonna need a debriefing. Could be not the most grotesque call. It could be just something that, you know, the patient looked exactly like your dad, you know, or, you know, uh, I had a, um, had a five-year-old who was killed in a car crash and my daughter was five years old. And uh, call didn't phase me, but um, on the drive home, I had to pull off to the road and I cried for about 30 minutes. So uh, you just never know sort of which calls are gonna hit you. So yeah, but there's provision for that. The service is really good that way, yeah. Okay, you guys have a great, oh, sorry, one more question. <laughs> Brianna, thanks. Um, when you do the ambulance call reports and police videos, are you still at the hospital when you do that? So you're still like technically out of service? You'll s you're not out of service, no. You're never really out of service. You start there at the hospital, but usually you end up finishing it back at the base, or some people even type while they're driving. I'm not a fan of typing while I'm in the passenger seat, but not while I'm driving, sorry, but while I'm in the passenger seat. But uh, yeah, sometimes you, you do calls back to back and you've got three ACRs to fill out at the end of three calls. 
you just have to sort through it, yeah. And hopefully you've kept some notes. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay, you guys have a great weekend. <laughs>